we don't just come bearing ourselves. We bear witness to what Christ has done in the world and in my world and what he could potentially do in your world if you would but surrender and open yourself up to him. But that thing of what could Christ do is always sacramental. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. This is Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I am joined by Dave, the Ariana Grande of Sacramental Evangelization, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> who, who is Ariana Grande? No, we're not playing this game. You know who she is. What? No, I have... The successor to Mariah Carey. You know Ariana. I know Mariah she has a Carey. Ponytail that's longer than she is. I've never uh, seen this girl in my life. Well, you're better for it because she's terrible. <laughs> she does amazing impressions on SNL, though. Oh, she's cool. Terrible. Okay. In terms of mocking other singers, it's funny. Her, okay. her Britney Spears is is pretty epic. But anywho, how are you? <laughs> Good. I just got back from Tulsa Diocese. That was fun. Did the uh, bishop there ask about me or anything? <laughs> you're such a punk. Yeah, he was I like, he's like, now you hang out with Gomer. I was like, yeah. He's like, he used to come out to A and M. I was like, yeah, that's him. <laughs> and I said, he's, and he's going to love guy. when I tell him. Gomer, <laughs> that what you just said, he is yeah. something. That bishop is really. So actually that whole diocese, I mean, I was only there with them for two days, but, you know, I was with the priests and deacons and like just a verse that kept coming to mind was, you know, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Yeah. They yeah, just yeah. like every time I talk to the priest, like they love the bishop. You could tell the bishop loved them. It was so nice. Like, it was just like mm. such a nice situation. You know, it was awesome. That is awesome because I did an event where you could definitely cut the tension with a knife. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think a lot of mo in most dioceses, I think it is more like that right now. Yeah, but, uh, but this, hard. you know, this, he, I, you could just tell he was just like a humble servant, you know, like he just, yep. it was, I'll tell you something really interesting. So I had like in depth conversations with like about 15 of their priests. 14 oh. of them, when I asked about the bishop, they all said this. The first thing they would say is, well, he is so committed to visiting every parish and every priest. So I thought that was really like all of them said that like on oh, their own, you know, okay. and then most of them said, you know, he was the first bishop to to write a letter basically saying like, you know, uh, politicians who are publicly pro-choice, like you cannot present yourself for communion. So like all of them were very proud of that, you know, and very like hmm. it was just it was just so interesting, like, you know, how. You know, in some places it's just very, there's a lot of tension and things like that. And it, it wasn't like this yeah. at all. You know, growing up in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, in that diocese, it was so interesting because you had Bishop Slattery who took over and he was very committed to uh, liturgy, the liturgical expression of the church. You know, he, at one point, I, I remember it was somewhat of a big deal that he started celebrating ad orientum. Okay. And I didn't even know what the heck that was at that time. And uh, and then he invited out the the Benedictine monks out there right. to build. That's right. Uh, an abbey out there, and it's uh, I have friends who have gone and helped to build and work on it. It's it's pretty incredible the the types of stuff that they're doing to maintain a a Catholic culture in a in a place that never really had it. You know, Oklahoma. Yeah, it's not, it's not really known for its, right. It's uh, like four percent or something, or three percent or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always really low. But, you know, you never know. With immigration and, you know, huge parts of the panhandle are almost entirely Hispanic. 
And so there is this growing presence of, you know, the question is, can we keep them Catholic? And that's kind of what we're talking about today. Yeah, actually, we at the convocation, I did a session on on the document that we're going through. Did um, you really? Yeah, yeah. I can't stop talking about it. I can't. <laughs> the, I the, love the this the section that we're talking about today is my favorite part because I love, I love like Vatican II ecclesiology. So, um, but I what I will say is I would expect the Tulsa Diocese to be an evangelizing powerhouse soon. I would expect really? that. Yeah, put it on cool. your calendar there because I think in the next few years we're going to see. Yeah, the priests were just so committed to it. They were so open and really interested in everything and they plus they were all just so like i don't know there was like a peace that they, they were real steady priests you know like just like you you got the sense that they were like you know in a good place so well let me ask you before we dive into um paragraph 33 and following for those of you at home the church and the sacraments and the sacramental economy letter d of part two um, before we go into it what what were the if you could outline how many talks did you do the standard like four talks no, I what were your seven topics? Seven over three days, over two Ooh, days. Seven. Okay. Uh, let's oh, wow. see. I did uh, introduction to evangelization in the charisma. I did. Um, oh, soul of the apostolate. Um, nice. Was that well received? Oh, super well received, and like uh, cool. many of them were so comfortable with it already. Hmm. And then um, making disciples in a parish setting, the role of the priest and deacon. Then it was. Then I think I did a session on deliverance and inner healing, at which they kind of threw in because just because I was coming. <laughs> and um, uh, what's the name of his website? The Catholic Truth About Angels and Demons dot com. Okay, yeah, let's have a <laughs> let's have do that. Talk. Yeah, and then I and then we finished with the discussion of uh, the document on the reciprocity. And oh, nice. interestingly enough, Bishop Condorla, before he was a bishop, had written an article specifically about married couples and faith. And it was and it was awesome. I mean, it, he basically comes to the conclusion that the book, like I read it like three or four times since I've been back from Tulsa, and it was it was really good. So I mean, he just oh, wow. he okay. he he said almost word for word what you said a couple episodes ago, where it creates a serious pastoral problem because what it means is, look, we got to get into a relationship with these people, evangelize them, and work with them. Yeah. You know. And he makes yeah. a, a I'll, I'll tell you, a really, see, he's so practical in this article. He says, don't let them set a date. Don't talk about dates until you've talked about the moral stuff. Because he said, mm. once you've set the date, you've almost lost it completely, you know? Mm. So, mm. which I think is so practical, you know, such a, such a smart thing to do. Is that available online or did you snag it from some other way? Is it yeah. something that we yeah. can post the link? No, no. Yeah, we could. I'll, I'll, uh. I'll send it to you. One of the priests sent it to me like as we were talking about it. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Okay, so what we're going to do today is dive into the church and the sacraments and the sacramental economy. Uh, paragraph 33 is, I love how they bring in the German, right? Yeah. The church. Grundsacrament. Grundsacrament. <laughs> the grounding sacrament. The universal sacrament. Dave, what stood out to you the most? This is where we get into that ecclesiology of Vatican II, Lumen Gentium, especially paid. Yeah, and... I guess, yeah, and let yeah. me let me let me before that step back and say the reason I love uh, reading the ecclesiology of the Vatic of the Council Fathers was it was kind of the first time where I was ever like, oh, the Catholic Church is more than just cool, like 
<laughs> it is pr- the privileged place of the grace of Christ, you know, uh, like, it, 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 and I know that sounds stupid, but I was, I was a kid. I was stupid, but, um, <laughs> but this kind of expresses that. So like even the first sentence, I love, uh, the historical tangibility of grace, which has historically been made present in Jesus Christ remains privileged, but derived through the work of the Holy spirit in the church. I, I mean, that's like a, such a simple, like if someone said, why are you Catholic? That would be a great answer. That, you know what I mean? Like it would be a nerdy answer, but it would be a great answer, you know? Yeah. Um, and then how they point out the importance of, they say there's a remarkable analogy between uh, the church and the incarnate word. That I think is so important, right? Because very clearly, like if you believe, if you believe what you do about marriage, right? That the two become one flesh, then when in the scriptures it refers to the church as the bride of Christ, we have to we have to take that very seriously, that Christ and his bride are one, you know? And it's yeah. pretty difficult to be in a relationship with Christ without the relationship with his church, you know? So Yeah, and it again, this understanding, this ecclesiological approach, the ecclesial approach to faith needs to frame everything that we do in evangelization. And one of the things, just kind of preparing for today, I went on and I clicked on the catechism web, uh, the Vatican's website with the catechism. I clicked the sacraments of faith, right? So there's like the sacraments of the church, sacraments of salvation, sacraments of Christ. And that was all the different ways of listing it and stuff. And so I was just reading through it. And this understanding at its heart, it says, you know, when Christ sent his apostles out in mission to evangelize, it was also a sacramental mission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you can't think, you can't even conceive of evangelization without this ecclesial and sacramental function. Interesting. And it's like, okay, so how do we understand the church? How do we understand the church? Well, we understand the church sacramentally. So what is a sacrament? An outward sign instituted by Christ that imparts grace. So what is the church? The church is a visible historical structure, something that is a the historical tangibility of grace, right? Christ earns the grace, the divine life of God communicated to us freely without merit. That's what the church is, right? The church is the body that uh, that the powers of Christ continually go forth from. And so when you look at it from this perspective, I, I said this in my baptism class. I talk about this document almost the whole time in my baptism <laughs> class. It was so funny. I didn't talk about the document, but you know, it's lessons learned from it. And I was just talking about like Christ desires to give you grace, and it's the grace of communion, right? Union with God, human humanity united to divinity. So what is the church? Well, it's visible and it's invisible. The visible side is instituted by Christ. Why? So that people can be saved which is why Vatican II called the church this universal sacrament of salvation because she is the one that preaches. She is the one that evangelizes. She is the one that prays, and she is the one that uh, gives the sacraments because of who Christ is and what he's doing through the Spirit. So when we understand the church is not an add-on, right, but is fundamental to how Christ wants to change the world. A Protestant pastor, I think, put it so well. He said, God's ordinary plan for the salvation of the world is the local church. And when you hear it like that, you're like, ah, yeah, okay, Uh I get it, because that's where the graces of Christ are dispensed. Yeah. Right. It's where real change happens. It's a real thing. Yeah, Yeah, that happens. And actually, what you just, you almost just quoted the document. It says, as a sacrament, the church is at the service of the salvation of the world. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like, 
feel like I could kind of meditate on that one line for a year because there we have kind of gotten it upside down that the world is at the service of the church in a sense and no it's the opposite right we need to mm. we need to remind ourselves that the the church is at the service of the salvation of men that that is yeah. that's it uh, it's kind of echoes you know the that original amazing statement that Pope Francis made when he was first you know um elected i don't know what you say about a pope uh when he was first elected when he said you know he, he desires a church where all of its resources are put at the at the use of evangelizing you know of yeah. bringing the kingdom of god so yeah and and when you think about this so this means okay so the the ending uh sentence of that dovetails nicely so when christ gave us the missionary call it was also a sacramental call but this document says so this means that sacramentality always has a missionary yeah. character cool. of service for the good of others. Now, what better description is our task as Catholic evangelists, right? We don't just come bearing ourselves. We bear witness to what Christ has done in the world and in my world and what he could potentially do in your world if you would but surrender and open yourself up to him. But that that thing of what could Christ do is always sacramental, right? And I think of the church is the most dead when she is the least missionary, right? When when the right. church, when a local church doesn't view itself as a place of preaching the gospel, witnessing to others, inviting in new people, going to the unchurched, serving the people on the margins, when they stop doing that, it's funny because it's almost like they're denying an aspect of the sacramental life of the church. And you'll find that these are people who are dotting I's and crossing T's of sacramental holy days of obligation yeah, and that right, stuff. Right. But without the dynamism of missionary life, without the dynamism of evangelization, even that becomes dead because part of the essence of the sacramental faith that we live is mission, yeah. right? It's this missionary character. So we're not just sitting here trying to get a bunch of evangelists to like preach the sacraments or something like that. No. We're trying to get this to also unveil the missionary character of the sacraments. Right? That's the going forth. That's the changing of the world. That's the baptizing of the Germanic peoples and the Franks and the you know things that was characteristic of the first thousand years of the Catholic Church. So we're a pilgrim church. It's yeah, awesome. Go and make disciples. Oh, hey, pilgrim church. Did you see the Vatican just announced the next year is going to be? No. I think the theme for the next year is going to be pilgrims in hope or pilgrims well, of I'll tell hope you what, my theme for next year is synod on synodality as we stop. try to struggle through stop. that stuff stop. i'm not stop I'm, I'm are you in those meetings parish. oh yeah they're the worst i will Guys, become orthodox if i have to go to any of those meetings <laughs> <laughs> hey the next line is like maybe one of my favorite lines of any document ever okay go blow my mind in the church itself there's already a perceptibility of god's grace quote of the eruption of the kingdom of god <laughs> I love that so much, right? Yeah. That that's what it is. Uh, you know, it's a, and that's that missionary aspect that you're talking about. When you start talking about kingdom, you know, kingdoms expand into other kingdoms, right? There's an aggression there in a certain sense. And I, I love that, right? That's the missionary aspect. They go on to say, thus, if on the one hand, the church is at the service of the establishment of the kingdom of God, on the other hand, the presence of the kingdom of Christ in mystery is already present in her. So as we expand the church, we're expanding the kingdom of God, which I love. I love that paragraph. Well, those few sentences right there, because, you know, it, it's like one of the things that like Gomer and I have been talking about from episode one. I went back and listened to a few of our first episodes on the plane. Nice. And one of the things we've been harping on from the beginning was 
that the kingdom of God expands through hearts. You know what I mean? That it falls into hearts and expands through hearts and that, that that is where the real missionary impetus should come from, right? It shouldn't come from anything else. It should be an expansion of, of overflow from our heart, which is the soul of the apostolate, right? And that's kind of what this is speaking to here. Yeah. So then when uh, we go on to the next paragraph, trying to trying to plow through trying to do my best to plow through this document um paragraph 35 <laughs> we think we, so we've, long. we've got like five pages in right yeah this is so funny because we're both like hey, this is my favorite sentence <laughs> so we just keep going back but uh the church christological and pneumatological reality now if you're not familiar with that phrase on pneumatological Pneuma. it means spirit the holy spirit spirit right uh and so when we look at the church and the dynamism i love i can't remember if it was Fulton J. Sheen or, or someone said, you know, you cannot have the doctrine of the church without first having the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, right? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, because it's the Holy Spirit that is the soul of the mystical body of Christ, right? So without the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit continues the mission of Christ for generation after generation, all the nations, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why St. Paul, um, what, excuse me, the... What? Why don't you explain the like the imminent and economic trinity so that they understand what what you're talking? Why about? don't I explain <laughs> yeah. imminent and economic <laughs> trinity? You know, you're, you, we're here, right? No, there is. I mean, just put put simply, right? There is the interior life of God as God is in Himself, and within that mode, you have the Father who is the origin, the Son who is the word spoken by the Father, and then you have the Spirit, the bond of love that unites the Father from all eternity. And if you look at it, the Father, the Holy Spirit is the life-giving love to the Son and the receptivity and reciprocity of that Son's love. Within the heart of God, the bond between Father and Son is the Holy Spirit. In creation, that bond between Father and Son is being breathed out into creation. So you have... In the economy of God, which is the basically salvation history, the economy of God, how God works in the world, right? The Father sends the Son, and then the Son sends the Spirit, right? And, and the Father and Son send the Spirit. But within that reality, right, this is the point of the church, is to carry on as the universal sacrament of salvation, the church, or the Spirit's mission, bringing people and incorporating people into Christ and thus back to the father, to the, the father. origin point, yeah, right? I love so it. it's the exitus hereditus, the going forth and then the return. And so for us as Christians, we cannot help but be charismatics, right? right? People who are filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, the sevenfold gift of the Spirit, the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, because it is the bond of love between the father and the son that we get to participate in, right? How, how incredible is that? So you can't have a church if you don't have the Spirit, Right. What is that great line? Jesus says, uh, the spirit will remind you of all that I've said and done. And so the, the great reminding is almost what you could say is the role of the of the bishops, right? In their discernment of doctrine and its legitimate development and in answering heresies, it's like, okay, how can the words and deeds of Jesus be applied to this doctrine, this issue, this thing, you know, Arianism, whatever it might be. And so this is it. And the document very clearly, these charismatic gifts lead to a particular appropriation of the richness of the word of God and of sacramental grace. 
strengths commu- strengthens the community and promotes its mission. In short, strengthening the sacramentality of the church. And I love that. And I have a feeling Father Thomas Wynetty got that Wrote one that? in there. Yeah. I love it. Oh, I yeah. bet so too. Do you think uh, particular appropriation of the richness of the word of God is a nod to evangelization? I hope so. Yeah, I think it is. Because it's a reference to uh, another great Vatican document, the decree on the apostolate of the laity. Oh. Uh, paragraph three. If you look in the in the thing right there, it says AA three. Oh yeah. Ap- right. I I don't know how to say it in Latin. Actuo apostolorium or something. Okay. <laughs> so the decree on the apostle of the laity, which so many of us don't even know that they wrote at Vatican II, but it's an excellent excellent document. So brothers and sisters, like you have gifts of the Holy Spirit in order to spread the kingdom. Yeah. Right. The church's reality is not how like you don't come to this podcast to just get tips and tricks. Over and over again, we say the only way you can be an effective evangelist if you yourself have been evangelized and converted, right? That's what we want to give, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit or soul of the apostolate-wise. God owes it to destroy your work of evangelization when it's only coming from you, right? Yeah, amen. They move on to talk about uh, sacramental continuity in the salvific order, basically that the church continues on salvation right that christ gave us and yeah i mean you've heard this before right like we we make present on the altar the the sacrifice of jesus christ but in all sacraments as well that that's what that's what the church does for us it makes it present once again and they say like and and remembers it once again particularly like in the with the easter mysteries and things like that i this one line i thought was was good this affirmation emphasizes that the sacraments are not an ecclesial creation and the church cannot change their substance, right? That the sacraments aren't like rituals that we've made that you kind of hoops that you have to jump through to say this is what you're this is what's Catholic. They're also not just symbols, right? They're things that were founded by Christ that have actual grace within them because of his founding. Uh, it's it's an encounter with the risen Christ. Uh, so it's not just something that the church made up. Yeah, one of the they quote a church father here. I think it was Saint Basil that's quoted um, in morning prayer for the liturgy of the hours, and it says, "What was visible in Christ has passed into uh, the the original translation has passed into the mysteries yeah, or the sacraments, right?" And this is the thing um, that I keep coming back to that they emphasize here is the whole life of Jesus was salvific, the whole life of Jesus. Right, So if the whole life of Jesus, not just his death on the cross, not just his resurrection, but the whole life of Jesus was salvific, then like the Eastern Catholics and Eastern Orthodox do, salvation was begun at the incarnation. It wasn't begun on the cross, right? It was begun at the incarnation. What's the incarnation? The union of God with man in Christ Jesus, right? So what is our salvation? The union of man with God in Christ Jesus, right? So it was begun there. Right, and the 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 atoning sacrifice that the cross represents is what makes the actual our what Christ is by nature, we will be by grace. It makes that possible, right? Because sin is always the obstacle. So that uh, has this great line: for they specify the sacraments specify characteristics of Jesus's humanity, the unfolding of the mysteries of his human life, which culminate in Easter. For here, Jesus gives himself fully as a source of all grace. And this beginning with the gift of the Spirit. So when you look at this this flow, the whole life of Jesus is salvific, and that's what the church wants to continue. Right? That's why we have the Spirit, is to continue applying the life of Christ. What was visible in Christ has passed into the sacraments. Yeah, and it ends by saying that it's not 
the grace is not limited exclusively to the seven sacraments, setting up the next paragraph when they talk about, it talks about sacramental grace and non-Christians, which again, basically they're taking most of it from straight from Vatican II. It looked like yeah. to me, the one, the one thing I thought is worth pointing out um, is, man, that's a long sentence. So I'm going to cut it in half, <laughs> but not independently of Jesus, the primordial sacrament and the church fundamental sacrament, the action of the Holy Spirit is not limited to the limits of the visible church, but its presence and action are universal without limit of space or time. Basically a nod to the fact that there are people outside of the Roman Catholic, the Holy Roman Church, right, who are receiving grace, right? God God doesn't limit himself uh, to working in people's lives. That doesn't mean it's not the privileged place, as we learned before. It just means that yeah. God... Uh, can work anywhere he wants. And this is a very common question that I get asked, especially by high school students, when they start to come into their faith and begin to agree with the church, especially on salvation, Christ, you know, what he did. And then they say, well, what about my friends who aren't Christian? What about my friends who aren't baptized? What about my, what about, what about, what about? And it's like, okay, if we really believe this stuff about sacramental grace, what about those who haven't received it? Right. What about, you know, my three children who are in heaven right now right. that were unable to get baptized? Like, what about them? And actually, the the same group of people took up that theme in the 90s and wrote about it. It's a pretty, pretty epic document. Here's the deal. The church says that the church is the universal sacrament of salvation to distribute the gifts of, of grace that Christ won for her. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is hemmed in by the church. Right. So the, the church is God's visible institution, but maybe he's working in other people's lives in an invisible way. Maybe the action of the Holy Spirit. We're limited by the sacraments, but God is not. But that doesn't mean, and this we need to really etch this, this is, into this our hearts. So important, I, right. Yeah. It doesn't mean that everyone can be saved parallel, like all other paths are just as equal, just they're just parallel to Christ or independent of Christ in his church. No, we always say if anyone is saved, whether they are a Catholic or a Buddhist or an atheist or whatever, if anyone is saved, they are saved solely by Jesus Christ and his church. Right. The primordial sacrament, Jesus' humanity, and the fundamental or grun sacrament of the church. And so within that context, we can say, yeah, maybe someone who didn't know Christ is saved, but uh, it is not automatic, right? And people tend to think that, well, they didn't know, so therefore, and it's like, no, 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 that is not at all what the church teaches. Whatever grace Christ is giving them in their religion they have to respond to with a yes and of course that's known only to god that's not known to us well yeah and and respond to the word made flesh with a yes that mm-hmm. like saint thomas says that like say they were a good person like that's the analogy everybody uses. Yep. like what if someone's a really good buddhist right that saint thomas says like it you know it, it was within the realm of possibility that at the moment of death right christ reveals himself to them and elicits a response from them and i i, mm-hmm. I like the idea of that yeah. So the next one, uh, sacramental grace and faith. In short, the word of God, creative and effective, has created the interpersonal language of the sacramental words, which are the sacraments, words in which the word continues to act thanks to act thanks to the spirit. In the words that the minister pronounces in the name of the church, I baptize you, etc., the risen Christ continues to speak and act. So just think about that in the phrase of reception of any sacrament. It's interpersonal. Right, it is interpersonal. Right, you are there to receive through the interpersonal relationship of the priest, of the deacon, you know, of the bishop, whatever it might be. There is that relationship there 
that is grounded not just in the church, but ultimately in the Holy Spirit, right? So if uh, it ends by saying this pretty epic statement. Since the sacraments are made possible today by the Spirit, a personal relationship with the dead and risen Lord. He always said, they, they always say that in this document, the dead, dead and, and risen, risen Lord. Lord. I love I, I've used that twice. I'm going like, to start ah, using that still too. Still not natural. Yeah, right. Still not natural to me. The risen Lord, yeah, but the dead and risen Lord. They have no meaning without such a relationship, which is condensed in the word faith. So let me say that again. Since the sacraments are made possible today by the Spirit, a personal relationship with the dead and risen Lord, they have no meaning. The sacraments have no meaning without such a relationship which is condensed in the word faith. I, okay, so that statement is strong. And immediately, strong. if you've been involved in any kind of like apologetics or even if you just grew up in the era that Gomer and I grew up in, yeah. right, this idea that your faith has saved you, this this works backwards too. That It's not just that you can condense the word you know relationship into the word faith. But that we have to realize, okay, that means faith is more than just an intellectual ascent. It's more than just uh, once saved, always saved kind of a thing. It is a relationship. And it always, always in the Bible, when they refer to faith, they're referring to a, a longstanding relationship, a real relationship, and not just something intellectual. Yeah, the Hebrew word for faith, I, I was remember listening to a, um, a rabbi and he was saying, there is no real word for faith in Hebrew. The word properly translated is faithful or faithfulness. Oh, jeez, that is awesome. Right? What, do you right? have that talk somewhere? That is amazing. Uh, it was it was the rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who used to be the, the chief rabbi of the UK. Okay. And it was an address he gave at the Vatican on when they did their uh, hum, uh, yeah. humanum series. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's where I heard huh. it. And I was like, wait, what? And, he goes, and yeah, so that that notion because you don't just have faith in a bunch of propositions for a Jew, you have faith in the covenant that Yahweh has established. Are you faithful, right, to the words that God has given you? But what we have done, it's like the word religion. Like the the modern word religion was invented basically in the 1700s. Beforehand, religion meant a virtue whereby I render unto God right. what is his due, not an organized, systematic, institutionalized, you know, creed and and worship. Right? That's what we've reduced it to. So, but do you, um, like, do, yeah. do you realize like the the theological like gymnastics that modern Protestant theologians have jumped through because of what you're saying? Like what? Like think about something like Watchman Nee, who will say like, "Well, yeah, once saved, always saved." But you also have to get your mind saved, and once you get your mind saved, then you get your, you know what I mean? Like because they because they can't put this all within the context of just relationship. Like they 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 just can't bring themselves to do it. It's interesting, and it is funny because it's a relationship that is best characterized by marriage, right? right. Marriage yeah, right. is is in a way the primordial sacrament because. It was it w- it was the sacrament of Adam and Eve, right? Like he woke up married, kind of thing. Right, yeah. And it is it is by natural law. Like if you marry in a Catholic mass, if you marry someone who is unbaptized, you have a natural and non-sacramental marriage. Right. People don't realize that you both have to be baptized. But at the same time, the the idea of matrimony as being the heart of our relationship with God. I mean, Jesus is the bridegroom, we are the bride, all that stuff. But Marriage is a daily yes. Marriage involves faithfulness. Right. 
right? What does right. it mean to have faith in my spouse is I know that my spouse will be faithful, right? And every single day, we all know this, everyone who's married, everyone who's been through a trial in their marriage, everyone who's been through dry points in their marriage know that saying yes to my spouse can sometimes be very difficult. And that interpersonal relationship thing is what keeps it, is what keeps it going, right? The, the constant need to communicate, to have a healthy relationship means you are always with one another in terms of you're always building up the relationship. Relationships go bad when you start to distance yourself from one another, right? right? And so within that sacramental interpersonal reality, it's like, okay, yeah, sometimes I don't feel like going to mass, but I'm going to go because that's what the relationship demands, right? And I don't feel it. Well, it's not about your emotions. It's about your commitment before it touches your emotions. Someday it'll be very emotional. Some days it won't have any emotion. And some days it'll be a lot of negative emotions. But you still do it. You still hold on. You still cling, right? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Preach it. Preach it, brother. Uh, <laughs> move on to um, uh, paragraph 39, the sacraments, supreme exercise of ecclesial sacramentality, something that's kind of been important in the news lately, right, that sacraments have an ecclesial aspect to them, meaning that when you engage Christ in the sacraments, you are expressing a faith in the church as well. That there is something something ecclesial about them. Now they weren't f- formed solely by the church; it, they were formed by Christ. But there is something like, for instance, when you when you affirm your faith by receiving communion, you're affirming your faith in the Church of Christ. You know, in in, in the in the Catholic Church. Yeah, and it says. Um Every sacrament is an intrinsically ecclesial act. According to the fathers, the sacraments, I just love this phrase, are always celebrated in the faith of the church since they have been entrusted to the church. In each and every sacrament, the faith of the church precedes the faith of the singular faithful, right? Before my personal faith, there is the ecclesial faith. It is, in fact, a personal exercise of the ecclesial faith. That's huge. Awesome. All right, let's roll on to sacramentals, which I am discovering a newfound love and respect for. Yeah, cool, newfound, huh? Yeah. Uh, ever deepening. Right. So this uh, starts out with ecclesial sacramentality is not only embodied in the sacraments, but there are other sacramental realities. And they say there's a primacy in particular of Scripture. That would be a sacramental reality. But other things, sacramentals, like what we talk about, uh, they say in the sacramentals, we don't speak of an efficacy similar to that of the sacraments, meaning not ex opere operato, but ex opere operantis, right? Uh, that you, these prepare for the sacraments, they open us to the sacraments, uh, the amount of faith with which we approach them takes more effect, as opposed to the sacraments, whereas whatever the church intends happens, regardless of the faith of the person or the faith of the, of the person receiving, these have more of a, like a quantitative aspect to them in a certain sense, right? More faith, mm-hmm. it's going to do more. One of my favorite things is uh, my parochial vicar and a guy you've had on your shows for Patreon stuff. One of the things when he talks about sacramentals, because he's very big on sacramentals, right? Um, when he we were preparing for the Epiphany water, which is special exorcism water, he said, um, exorcism holy water, he said, uh, in his homily, sacramentals, being blessed, having blessed objects are for me one of my favorite things as a priest because I get to go into the world and claim things away from the devil yeah. and claim them for the kingdom. And he's like, I want every home to be blessed. I want every person to be blessed. I want every object to be blessed yeah. and and be a thing where the kingdom 
rains. <laughs> and I'm like, gosh, what a great way oh my gosh, to think about yeah, it. Right. Right. Because for me, I, I you know, and you had uh we were talking beforehand about the prayers of Saint Bridget feeling yeah. super uh yeah. superstitious, not just a little stitious, but yeah. superstitious. Um I, I there was a part of my life where I was living in Oklahoma, you know, we were the only Catholics in in our friend group and you know, when I was in public school and stuff. And that most of them were non-sacramental type churches, like non-denoms and Baptists and stuff. And for us, the I didn't want to be weird. So my rosaries were hidden from my friends. Sure. If they saw it, they would lose their minds. Because there's a point where sacramentals, there's a danger where they could become talismans. Yeah. Right? Right. Like, I'm using this to ward away evil, and then I'm going to burn this Jimson root and right. ginger. And, right. you know, and you're like, okay. But there becomes this, this moment that I really need to understand. Like, they derive their efficacy from your personal faith and your use of them in faith. Right. right. That number one, Christian piety, devotion, like it's devotion to Christ, but also they flow from and return us to the sacraments. Right. So if you have people that pray the rosary more than they receive Holy Communion, uh, or not more, but like quantitatively, but like, you know, if, they're de- if their heart is solely in, you know, right. a Marian devotion to the rosary and they, they don't care about the Eucharist anymore, there's a disorder there because the sacramental has almost become an idol. Right. Right. And now I think that is very, very rare, but, um, well, it's happening like that in Mexico. Like they have churches that are literally just, they're not to Jesus Christ. They're to the Virgin of Guadalupe, mm. you know? Mm. Mm. Interesting. You know what's funny is because I was I was talking with a, a priest down in Mexico who runs this great catechetical problem, Father Ernesto. And he was talking about, you know, the need of the re-evangelization of people because as as Mexico continues to become secular, the people become, they've lost theology, right? right? So the sacramentals become talismans, right. and that's it. Right. And he's like, but when you find people, and this is the cool thing about immigrants into my church, is they are almost single-handedly restoring sacramental, the, well, I would say the, the, the Hispanic church and the African church love sacramentals. Right. And when you attach that true Christian piety to sacramentals, it's like, oh, okay, yes, this is incarnational spirituality. Yeah, yeah. This makes sense, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. So while uh, they have this line at the end where it says, while the water of baptism produces the effect of forgiveness of sins in the womb of the sacramental celebration, holy water, remembrance of baptism, does not cause an effect by itself, but in the measure in which it is received with faith. For example, when crossing oneself at the entrance, right? right? So, yeah. Right, yeah. and then going back uh, just to point out, like just so we understand the difference here, for instance, baptism, you are baptized because, you know, if the minister does what the church intends, you are baptized. That doesn't necessarily mean the fruit, the grace yeah. of that baptism is flowing through your life without any kind of activation of faith, right? Yeah. Uh, so that that would be, you know, just something to remember. I love it. I love the idea of sacrifice. Like, my favorite thing, right, is slowly becoming the liturgy of the hours. Because it's like, yeah, Stop. and we're going to take I don't back... Hear, if one the, more person says something about... Th- I. It makes me so angry because I've tried so for so many years to do the Liturgy of the Hours, and I cannot do it. I can't do it. I can't figure <laughs> out the ribbons. I can't figure out the... Dude, get the app. If you say that, one, if one more person says that to me, I'm going to fly down there and wrestle you in a singlet. <laughs> Just, oh, that'll be awesome. So get the app. It'll update it. I want you to wrestle me. I don't want <laughs> I think the I app. You. you know I don't like screens. I know, but I'm telling you. I literally said this to a priest. I was like, you know what? 
There's all the ribbons. I just can't do it. Give me the screen and make the screen tell me what to do. Okay, so we're going to go quick to a commercial break, but what I want everyone to do is email us at EKSB at EssentialPress.com if you have questions, concerns, comments that you want to make about this document or how this document has been meaningful for you because we know that several people have said DREs are going through it, priests are going through it, pastors, parish life people are going through it, sacramental prep people are going through it. So I just want to talk to you. Uh, how you doing? You know, how you doing with this document? Is it actually changing the sacramental life of the church. I know I said that in an awkward way. How you, how you doing? You want, you want a party? But uh, I think it'd be really cool. All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to wrap up with the axes of the sacramental economy, part E, which is just a summary of the story so far. Did you know that every single item in a Catholic church points us towards heaven? Make every visit to a Catholic church a powerful reminder of God's presence with a new book from Ascension, The Sacred That Surrounds Us by Andrea Zachman. The Sacred That Surrounds Us awakens Catholics to the mystery of the seemingly ordinary items we see every week at Mass. It explains with clarity the symbolic realities and historical facts of each one. To order The Sacred That Surrounds Us, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. All right, and we are back. Now we're going to go to part E, Axes of the Sacramental Economy. If you want a fun and exciting way rather than this dull way that Dave's going to do it, go to my solo episode from the last show (laughs) where I just, or, or was it two shows ago, where I just go and preach through trying to summarize everything. So, Dave, I don't, don't know. I didn't, listen to, I didn't listen to it. What, um, Dude, it would have changed your life. It would have changed your life, but now you failed. Yeah, so, uh, again, <laughs> just summary. So, A, right off the bat, uh, I, just, I, I do want to read kind of a chunk here. The divine Trinitarian economy, because it is incarnational, is sacramental. Since the economy is sacramental in nature, the seven sacraments instituted by Christ, guarded and celebrated by the church, are of capital importance within the church. Love it. Capital importance. I love that phrase. Capital. That's like such a British. Capital. I know. Oh, it's capital importance. Good chap. The sacramentality of the divine economy refers to faith. It is through faith that this sacramentality is grasped and inhabited, right? We live in the sacramental economy. We live and move. Why? Because Christ was made flesh. The word was made visible and tangible and historical. So the gift of the Holy Spirit, the sacraments also are historical, tangible, visible, Right? That's the importance of the sacramentality of the divine economy. C, Jesus Christ instituted the sacraments and gave them to his church so that the mysteries of faith would be represented in a, fi- in a visible way. Christ came in the flesh, so you got to remember he's going to act incarnationally. Mm. That's a sick quote in there that y'all should read. I know. Too. But uh, D, the structuring of the sacramental economy is dialogical. Listen, this is not uh, automatic. This is not a Pez dispenser, right? The sacramental life depends on two things, the objectively celebrated sacrament and your openness to what God wants to do in your life. Faith represents the moment of the graceful response of the human person to the gift of God, whether that gift of God is the kerygma or it is baptism or the Eucharist or forgiveness in the confession, right? This is your human response. Are you open? And E, because of the dialogical nature of the economy of salvation, 
it has certain consequences and Mm -hmm. it ends with this perfect summary. In other words, since the Trinitarian economy as sacramental is dialogical, it is not possible to understand the action of grace that is given in them according to the model of a kind of sacramental automatism, meaning that Mm. you must be in relationship. There must be engagement. There must be faith. Oh, I love it. I love it because I hate seeing people who treat the sacraments this way. Like and magic. as a guy who was in, so literally last week I had to call up a person and say, we are delaying baptism for your child. And she was like, what? And I said, you don't go to church. You're not connected to any parish. Your godparents are not confirmed. They're not living in a sacramental marriage. And they have a whole bunch of kids and none of them are going to get baptized. Like none of them are baptized and they're all older. So you have, this is not how we live a life of faith. Right. And she's like, but I want this. And I said, you're wanting it has to be expressed in a life life of faith. I said, so you're not registered at our parish. And I said, will you get registered at our parish? Now, I, I'm not going to prohibit the sacraments from someone just because they're not registered here. Right, you know, yeah, yeah, it wasn't just that. And she said, why? well, why? And I was like, because I want to invite you to Mass and sit with you. Like, this is why we need a parish. Right. We need homes. We need families. We need friends who will support us. I said, I'm, come in the office. Let's talk. Let's meet up for Mass. Let's go for coffee and donuts afterwards or whatever. Like, this is the point. This is where evangelization and the dignity of the sacraments become one thing. And it is missional. It's not like, oh, I'm sorry, you don't check all the boxes for what constitutes a founding right. hope. Therefore, get away from me. It's, okay, now how can we solve this? How can we move beyond treating the church with a sacramental uh, automatism and actually embrace the life-giving power of Jesus Christ in the church? You can't get married just to make grandma happy in the church. You have to realize the sacrament of matrimony is going to conform you to the person of Christ, right? And here's a glorious thing. Saturday, tomorrow, I have <laughs> I have a convalidation class, and this is going to be 80% of the convalidation class. Nice. Right? Understanding the sacramental reality. Yeah. Nice. Hey, uh, I think if we're ever going to finish this document ever for the rest of our lives, mm-hmm. we should have them go all the way to three the reciprocity between faith and sacraments and Christian initiation. Yeah. So, so I would say I would say where they start applying it into the actual individual sacraments, which is in chapter three, that's where, you know, you guys got to take and read. You guys got to take and read. But there are, <laughs> you got to do it on your own. We're not going to go through that with you. But I think that within it, we'll finish up chapter two, uh, the reciprocity between faith and the sacraments of faith. And uh, hopefully maybe in the next two episodes, we'll wrap this up. And uh <laughs> we'll, see. we'll wrap it up we'll see. we will wrap it up all right yes, no? thanks maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll see yeah. thanks everybody for listening pray for us we always pray for you god bless and it's still january you can get caught up in the bible in a year with father mike schmitz and jeff cavins and stuff go do that it's awesome yeah it's awesome Amen. put it on double speed you'll you'll literally go forward in time eight minutes it's awesome all right y'all god bless bye 